Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. It's Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. If you'd like to call in, again, that number is 844-442-4743. If you've got a question for us or any comments, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a minute. And you can also contact us via Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so our our Ag PhD mailbag has been stacking up, piling up here in the last couple of weeks, so we better get to that right away. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, got one from Brian in Pennsylvania, and he said, uh, after listening and listening to you guys for a year now and watching your show, I've realized... I've been losing a lot of money by following some bad advice. So I've got a number of questions for you to help me get this thing turned around. Uh, I've got 100% no-till, lots of hills and stones. My CECs are in the 6 to 8 range. My pH is right around 7. My phosphorus levels are very high from chicken litter. My potassium and magnesium levels are low, and my K levels sometimes are below 100 parts per million. Now, I normally broadcast K but didn't get it done last fall. At this point in the season, would I be wasting money broadcasting potassium for this year's crop? I was thinking since my soil was so light compared to most, I could still get a response. Yeah, you have a chance. Now, our fear always when we talk about no-till and broadcasting fertilizer is that if you if it's real hilly, and I don't know how hilly hilly is for you, but if it's real hilly, it's possible some of that could start washing down the hill. I worry about that just a little bit. So that's my first concern. My second concern is with potassium, it doesn't move much in soil, but it does move a little bit, especially when it's 6 or 8 CEC. That's pretty light soil. If you have ample rainfall, yes, there is a good possibility that it could get down into the ground. But let's not forget, with potash, it's got to break down first. So how quickly is that going to break down? It actually takes a lot of rain to do that. And then you've got to have more rain to get it pushed down into the ground. So I'm not saying that it's a bad decision to put any out there, but what I am saying is I would not count on that as my total program for potassium this year because of the late date. So I I might cut back a little bit on the broadcast, and I might do a little bit more with a planter in a 2 by 2 something like that, and then I think you'll get more response that way and more yield that way. But if you own the ground, it's not a bad idea to, if you have low testing potassium levels, to, to put your normal rate of broadcast K out there and still do more with the planter because when the K does eventually break down and come available for your crop, it's going to be there probably for the next year's crop. All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Uh, Get one from Zyla. How about the use of 240B on soybeans? It has registration in our area for specific use on beans and some say it doesn't cause too much burn. I, I love when people say too much. It's just like when farmers will call me and say, is it too windy to spray? Look, if you have to ask, you already know the answer. So yeah, 2,4-DB or Buterac, it was developed, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago, trying to be the 2,4-D that could be used on beans. It just burns too much. I wouldn't want to use it on my beans. You can certainly do it on yours if it's labeled in your area, but you're going to see excessive leaf burn in many cases, and I do not like that crop injury. 
Got a question from Wes speaking about 24D. He said, do you have any insight comparing the Enlist or E3 soybean trait to the Liberty Link GT27 trait? I don't hear sure. much about that GT27. I'm just wondering why. Well, the reason why is because you don't have that extra mode of action. With Enlist, you've got uh, or E3, you, you have the ability to spray Enlist. It's the new 2,4-D over the top of the beans. And there are more companies, I believe, don't, don't quote me on this, but I believe there are more companies that are getting on board with Enlist than the, uh, the LLGT27. Also, with that LLGT27, it does have tolerance to the group 27s, basically the HPPD, but just balance. So at some point, you know, that may be an option for pre-emerge use. Again, at some point, I'm just not real big on using an HPPD in beans because we're really concerned about HPPD overuse and possible weed resistance when we look at all the uses that there are in corn. So anyway, I think a lot of people are going to be going toward that enlist just so you have the ability to spray 2,4-D and the yields with those beans look really good too. Thanks for the question. Uh, got another one here. This is from Russell down in Mississippi. He said, uh, got a couple of questions here. I, I talked with you earlier about fertility. You thought it might be better for me and my no-till going in a two-by-two two placement. We have light soils 5 to 8.5 CEC, about 55 inches of normal yearly rainfall. I want to put on 10 gallons of 1034 and 2 gallons of potassium thiosulfate for corn and soybeans. I'm wondering, is that too much salt even if I get it out in the 2x2? Two two? Also for the corn, how much 32% could I add at the same time safely? I was thinking maybe 8 gallons. Or would you rather just see me broadcast ammonium sulfate like you guys apparently do? <laughs> well, we do all kinds of things. So I, I like doing all kinds of things because then we have firsthand experience to tell you, ooh, yeah, you don't want to try that. Are we worried about 10 gallons of 1034 plus a couple other gallons of the potassium product you're talking about? I, I, in a two-by-two, two, I can't say I'm real worried. I'm slightly concerned. You've got slight risk there, but I would not say you have extremely high risk. If you're putting that in furrow, uh, yeah, then that'd be disaster. So ideally, I would like to take that and split it even further. I'd, I'd put half on one side and half on the other side. So a two by two on each side of the row, that'd be ideal, uh, especially when you consider throwing another eight gallons of 28% in there. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're throwing a lot of stuff there. As long as you do have ample rainfall, though, it's probably going to work out, but it just worries me. Now, your other option is you could switch to lower salt products. That's what we do on our farm. I feel more comfortable with that. And certainly with nitrogen, since it moves pretty well in the soil, you know, nitrogen, yeah, I don't mind broadcasting that one so much. Banding is fine. You just don't have to go a real high percentage banded. We'll get back to more of your calls and questions right after this. Stay tuned. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! 
When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation. And patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. One year it could be moisture stress, another pythium or nematodes. So you need your soybeans to rise ready for whatever the season holds. Now one simple decision provides coverage on four fronts. The Acceleron portfolio, fungicides, insecticides, bioenhancers, and an industry-leading nematicide that strikes where nematodes attack. This season, rise stronger with Acceleron seed treatment products. Learn more at acceleronsas.com slash rise ready. Performance may vary. It's important to use proper PPE when handling treated seed. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can send us an email as well, radio at agphd.com, or you can find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. It's going to be a fun show today. We we, uh, we always talk to farmers from across the country. We would love to talk to you as well. We'll start off with Larry in Illinois. Larry, how's it going? Oh, pretty well, thanks. How are you guys? Good, good. Are you guys drying out yet, or you still feel like you got lots of time to get that done? Well, you know, it, it can do it fairly quickly if it turns to the 80s like it did last year, but I think we're fortunate that we haven't been blessed with as much snow and rain as you guys have been getting. Yeah, well, it all turns around. See, you you tend to get the rain when you actually want it during the growing season. We tend to get it when we have to scoop it. So, <laughs> so that's yeah. Well, everybody prays for rain about the tenth of July, but uh, we don't always get it. You know, when you think about some of the stuff that you've been doing on your farm to to uh, improve yields and and other farmers in your area that you're helping, what what are some of the keys that you would say have, have been uh, been really moving the needle forward? Well, obviously, with the way the markets and everything have been, you know, we're concentrating on ROI. Uh, we're still doing experiments to figure out how to push the envelope, but you got to stay in business. And like your dad told you, look for the $100 jobs. I tell guys, look for the, the things that have the biggest return on investment. When you can spend, can spend 6 $8 and get $40, $50 in, uh, in crop, that's the kind of things you're looking for. Okay, so what would be what would be a couple of those things that you see uh, a lot of people not doing? Not doing. Well, I wish they were not doing as much tillage as they are. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the one thing they're not they're not doing as much minimum till, no till, strip till, like we've been doing for twenty five years. Um, I don't think that they're really looking closely at uh, foliar feeding later in the project, or even with the uh, starter fertilizers and putting things on the planter. You know, we used to 
see that more and more earlier. But guys around here don't want to burn the paint off their planters, so they're and they're farming a lot more acres, and I don't blame them. But uh, we've seen really good results trying to put the biologicals in the row and get some early nutrition uh, in the two by two by two. And as you've seen in your plots, uh, foliar feeding it is really a thing if you're going especially for high yields to spoon feed it because uh, you just really can't be throwing big chunks of uh, dollars and nutrition out there and expect them to stay the whole year. So yeah, trying to spread things out a little bit more. A lot of things there that make a lot of sense to me. And you mentioned uh, the biologicals and, and just trying to get that plant off to a really good start. That's something we've seen consistent results with too. And I agree with you. A lot of guys are farming more acres and everybody's in a big hurry. And every time Brian and I wanted to put something else on the planter, my dad would say, oh man, you're just going to slow us down in the spring. We don't, we don't really care how fast we get done as long as we're doing a great job and setting ourselves up for big yield. Yeah. I'm not in a race to get done first. I'm in a race to stay in business. I had an ag professor in college first day of advanced ag management he said well i know a lot of you guys aren't going to be farmers but when you play the farmer game if you win you get to play again and if you lose you're out. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so that's that's kind of where we're taking it but we've been seeing you know some good results with the biologicals and some seaweed products and, and different things like that um, the one biological we use and i i guess i'm a firm believer in making it myself there are a lot of people that do that, but they don't really know what uh, what they're making or what they actually have in there. We've had ours DNA tested, and it's over 4,000 distinct families of colony-forming fungal units, which means that each milliliter has between 50 billion and 100 billion bugs, and a milliliter is not too big. So we're using it every chance we get. Um, in our soybean test plot, we had two gallons of... Uh, the compost tea in at uh, R3, and it gave us about a 9% bump in yield. So that was more than more than enough to cover the cost there. When when did you say you put that on? What was your growth stage? I think it was about R3. Okay. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah right about as those beans are putting on the pods and, and starting to really right. crank up their need for nutrition. Well, and we also like to uh, get some extra potassium in there late. Um but one of the things, I guess, if I'm going to talk a little bit more about compost tea, is you have to be really, you know, special about using it. You don't want to be putting it with 1034 or 28. It'll kill all your bugs. And if you're going to put it in with a herbicide, you know, Roundup will kill 25% of your bugs. But if you get rained out and it sits in the tank, the bugs will kill 100% of your Roundup in about two days. So <laughs> you don't want to be doing that. But, you know, it takes a few more trips. But uh, we're finding that it's it's well worthwhile. Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, there's a lot of uh, those little tricks. And before everybody jumps on something new and says, oh, well, here's my silver bullet that'll just solve all my problems. Uh, talk to the guys that have been doing it for a while that have already made the mistakes and learned the lessons and uh, start off in a good position. You mentioned the foliar feeding, too. And this is one that we've talked to a lot of growers over the years that have said, man, sometimes it works for me, sometimes it doesn't work for me. Uh, what do you think about water pH going with that foliar feeding? Feeding, what are you shooting for, and uh, what other tips would you have for foliar feed success? Well, I hear the same thing from people. You know, foliar feeding doesn't work, and uh, we've had really good results, but people have to realize that you have to be really careful about it. You know, the pH is important. Uh, 
people don't realize that those plants only absorb about 25 to 45 seconds. So you don't want to be throwing lots and lots of extra water out there. And really, we've had the most success when you wait till the afternoon and the ambient temperatures dropped about 5 degrees but quit before due time and um, put it on and try and get a real thin mist, a fine mist to, to get them to absorb. But, uh, yeah, there's... There's so many things that they go into it, and I know a lot of people say it doesn't pay, but we've had we've had really good results with it. We had a uh, one of our customers out west that uh, just didn't he put on uh, foliar feeding on some edible beans, and they did the one plot, uh, 160 acres at 7:30 at night. And the next day they were going to do the other plot, 160 acres, but they're going to wait till night. But the farm manager came out about 10 o'clock in the morning, and here's the spray rig coming out of the the field. He said, hey, hey, what are you doing? He said, well, we had a gap in our schedule, so we got you done early. Well, that 12 hours off kilter from where we would have really liked it meant 600 pounds of edible beans at 50 cents a pound, so it made wow. $300 an acre difference. And that'll make you a believer. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's it's interesting. When we talk to really high-yield and really successful growers, they, they say timing is probably the number one thing. You know, what are you doing different than, than other guys? And they say, we're doing a lot of the same things. Our, our timing is just off and we're much more fussy. And I know even for us growing up, a lot of times it was, well, hey, there's a baseball tournament tomorrow, so we got to get it done today. And, you know, what was our priority? For Brian and me, it was baseball. And it sure wasn't, uh, I, I really shouldn't do this tonight. I should do it in the morning. It's, no, i got to do it now. And yeah, we yeah. see, we see guys uh, that are really going for it that say, you know what? Hey, if I have to bail hay in the middle of the night, I'm going to do it. And we see tons of guys doing that around the country. And it might, might be the same right. thing with crop production that, Hey, you know what? It's going to work better for you in the late afternoon or early evening than it is going to in a, in a cool morning. Right. And I understand I grew up milking a hundred cows. So that kind of changed our schedule from when we were going to get things done. But uh, yeah, farmers that are farming a lot of acres don't have maybe the luxury I have since I don't have as many acres that I can be a little bit more picky about when I'm doing things. And we're, we're adding some things this year. Uh, I'm really excited about doing some thermal imaging to get a better handle on my zones and uh, going to be running soil tests on everything, uh, trying to do stuff, get it, uh, get it all figured out, putting some more precision on our planter so that I can be more precise and know exactly what I'm doing and and kind of keep squeezing it down. It's it's kind of amazing, you know, we're down to like 0.8 on our nitrogen now and still running in the 240, 265 bushel yield corn and uh, well, it's ROI. 80 bushel beans. So, it's like, like yeah. you said, Larry, it comes ROI. down to ROI. And I, I think, you know, here's the thing. Uh, and you mentioned it there too. You're not the biggest farmer in the world. And we talk to a lot of farmers all the time. Well, you know, I don't know if you want to spend a lot of time with me on this recommendation. I'm a small farmer. I'm like, are you kidding me? You got the most to gain on this thing. You need to make these acres work. So I appreciate all the encouragement you got for, uh, for small farmers and for large farmers, Larry. It's nice talking to you today and we'll talk again soon. I hope so. Thank you. Listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. We'll be right back.
In farming, there's a lot of variables out of our control. Don't let fertility be one of them. Let the experts at AgroLiquid move you closer to your bullseye. It's true, AgroLiquid fertilizers are formulated to keep nutrients available to your crop, and they have unmatched compatibility with other nutrients and crop protection products, which makes application more efficient than ever. But we also have the best people in the field ready to talk about your operation, your goals. Go to agroliquid.com to move you closer to your target. With the success of the Case IH Tiger Quad Track and Magnum Road Track tractors, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us, because Case IH offered the first five axle design to give you more power to the ground with less berming and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, we'd be blushing. To learn more, visit caseih.com tracks. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. In farming, getting things done early has a way of setting you up for success. Like using Corvus for an early season win over weeds. Corvus keeps even the toughest weeds from gaining a foothold. Multiple sites of action deliver superior control of emerged weeds. And later, Corvus reactivates with just a half inch of rain to take out any new weeds that may have sprouted. So get an early season win against weeds with Corvus for end of season rewards. Always read and follow label instructions. Corvus is a restricted use pesticide. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday here in the Morton studio. We're taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Grant with us now in Pennsylvania. Grant, thanks for joining us. Yeah, sure thing. It's been a challenging year. Oh, no no kidding. Hey, what did you think about Larry in Illinois? Larry's doing a lot of the stuff you're doing, too, I think. Reducing tillage, trying to improve soil health, those kinds of things. Yeah, we're in the long-term no-till. Uh, used to cover crops. Uh, we've kind of got our cover crop system into a kind of a mode of how leaves lay down in a forest. You know, you get that bottom layer of more decayed return to the earth type material, and then the most recent cover crop laying on top. So I don't think we we suffer a uh, 
nitrogen penalty like you might if you're just starting into cover crops and you're getting all the residue on the soil surface and tying up that nitrogen. So the system's really working well. Outstanding. Outstanding. Okay, so going into this year then with economics on uh, on soybeans changing, for example, does that change your rotation or are you pretty fixed in what you do? Well, we have some flexibility, but we've been heavy in the beans the last couple of years uh, because of the way the market's played out. But we got that, that uh, pest that pours into the base of the soybean plant that is at a midge larvae. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I did not know you had that in Pennsylvania. Well, we had it show up. Uh, I heard of the neighboring county just west of the Susquehanna River. Uh, had that same problem, and we got into harvest, and I was blaming the combine operator for some of our field losses, and I got out in the field after harvest, we were planting cover crop, and I started picking up these stems of these soybean plants. I said, this doesn't look at all normal, yep. and uh, we, we dug into it. Sure enough, uh, they were brittle or broken over before the, the combine came through, and we probably had a I don't know, somewhere between a 35 and 50% loss in some of the fields. So is it soybean gall midge or is it dectus stem borer? I think it's the uh, the gall midge. Okay. So the dectus stem borer, we see those two, and, and we see a swelled up part on the stem a lot of times where they're at. And this gall midge uh, just kind of eats the inside of the stem out. And, yeah, they're they're quite a problem. I didn't realize you had them out east. Yeah, yeah. I, and... Uh, I don't know how they got here so fast because we weren't hearing about them, but they're here. Well, judging by some of the winds that we've had, Grant, they could probably make it your way pretty close, pretty soon. Well, that's true. They always told us we got potato leaf hoppers riding on the southern winds, so I guess uh, just that's always possible. Yeah, it's it's interesting, just some of the different challenges that we run into. Okay, so you've been doing cover crops, and you've been successful with it. Are you seeing yield improvement? Are you seeing soil health improvement? What are you seeing? How do you how do you put a dollar and cent figure to it? Well, certainly uh, soil health issues are there. Uh, I mean, just to walk in the fields, drive in the fields with the equipment, you have a different feel than we did uh, years ago before we started 100% no-till. That's uh, awesome. More giving. Seems like you need to make more trips over a, you know, if you're doing a, a track area, it's more trips so you compact anything so you got better structure, better hold of your equipment weight. So from that perspective, I think it's better. Um, Yield-wise, I think we've been pretty steady with a, a slow climb in yield. Uh, whether or not you can necessarily attribute that to, the soil health or not, I'm not sure, but certainly the economics of not making all those extra trips across the field. And we farm in an area where I swear when the when the devil sowed stones, he must have dropped these apron springs strings over the farm because <laughs> boy, do we have stones. <laughs> Well, I think, honestly, Grant, I think that's why my ancestors just kept coming west. I think they maybe saw that, but they probably should have stopped in Iowa and Illinois and some of those areas, but but uh, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, it's when not not easy. When you don't keep bringing those up, that makes farming a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, uh, we've gone into some of the advanced nutrient management uh you know, trying to make sure our nitrogen stabilized, we put it down, and 
and treat up our phosphorus so it doesn't get tied up in the soil so it doesn't get fixed. And, and uh, we're trying to use some humix and fulvix with our uh, potash applications now, make sure that the material is fully available. So, yeah, trying to do things that just keep that yield creeping up. Yeah, I like that. That's that's a great focus, and uh, you, you're talking about the biggest nutrients that are putting the most pounds out. And if we can master those, uh, and like you said, what you're doing with humix and fulvix is really interesting. We're doing some work on that too to try to to make nutrients available to to try and uh, also negate some of the effects of uh, some of the other negatives that are out there. So yeah, lots of good stuff, Grant. Really appreciate hearing from you, and uh, we'll have to stay in touch on that soybean gall midge problem because. That's one uh, we just don't have a big answer for yet, but hopefully we will soon. Yeah, and just right quick, we do a little bit of consulting out of the farm operation. And I know you guys are big into the, the high-yield uh, studies. Uh, we have a, an Ag Explore franchise, and we work that through our consulting business along with the farm. We had the top three yields in Maryland this year with growers. We had the top. Uh, strip-till, no-till in Pennsylvania, and the top strip-till, no-till in Virginia with our intensive ag explore program. So there's something maybe you guys want to look at what we're doing because we're having a lot of success. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, congratulations. That's uh, that's pretty cool, and that's a tough area to get super high yields in, too, from the standpoint of you've got some extra people looking over your shoulder and making sure everything's just perfect, which puts a lot of pressure on. So way to go, Grant. Uh, yeah, we'll take a look at that sometime. Maybe send us some information, radio at agphd.com as well. All right, we'll do it. All right, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, uh, let's head down to Iowa. We've got Mark with us right now. Mark, how's it going? Good. How are you, Darren? Good. Now, literally today, I mean, are you keeping your head above water? Well, we're, we're trying. That's one of the things I'm looking at now is uh, we're along the Des Moines River, and we're looking at all the ice jams and the big chunks of ice coming off the river now. Yeah, but Mark, isn't this good news right now? I was just looking back last year. You know, when our river crested at the highest point of the year, it was April 27th. Well, we're six weeks ahead of that this year. So I'm certainly hoping that getting rid of all this uh, this snow right now and, and having all this rain, moving this out now is a good thing for planting. I mean, what's, what are you thinking in your area for timeliness of corn planting? Do you have lots of concerns? We're, we're start, it's starting to build up right now because, yep. uh, you know, we're hoping to get in the field early, but it's not going to be a while yet. We still got 50 to 80 percent snow cover up here yet after the two inches of rain we had this week. Sure. But we're just so full of moisture from the wet fall and. You know, so we just need to get our drainage systems working full capacity here soon. Yeah, the frost hasn't gone out of the ground yet, so there are a lot of tile lines that aren't even running yet. So, what yeah, else are you thinking about? Uh, 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 sorry, what else are you thinking about as you go into 2019 here, uh, aside from the weather? Well, the the weather is still our big major concern, and timeliness. We're trying to establish, you know, how early can we get going, and when we're going to be fit. We terribly. We fought the terrible wet weather last spring, and we were hoping for a little different this year. But yep. right now we're stacking up to be out in the same boat as we were last year. Hey, any thoughts on soybean traits? Are you doing anything different like Enlist? Um, not necessarily Enlist, but like on my own operation, we're changing all our soybeans to the Extend program this year. 
Sure. I had two fields last year that we tried and had excellent luck with. Oh, the yield's and, been awesome. Uh, we're going to switch them all over. Yep. Is it is it a yield thing or a weed control thing for you or both? Uh, both. Yield was great, but the weed control was outstanding. I, I had a couple of fields I never even stepped foot in. There wasn't any weeds to pull Outstanding. last year, so we were thrilled to death. That's great. That's great. Well, we appreciate hearing that, Mark. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about killing some of these tough weeds, and I know where you guys farm, and it's you got a lot, you got a lot of weed pressure there, and really, I mean, some high producing ground too that that uh, you want to do the best you can for top end yield. So that's that's awesome to hear. Well, Mark, good luck here. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the flooding doesn't last too long, and you can get in the field on time again. That'd be great. Best of luck to you guys, also. You bet. Thanks. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. No secrets here, we all know, regardless of the markets, balanced crop nutrition pays. Agro-liquid fertilizers have the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you determine the best use of your fertilizer dollar. Agro-liquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agroliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and buy two, save three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. 
We started utilizing the dual react system this year. You can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips. So you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro, helping you spray better. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. Talking to farmers around the country, we'd love to speak with you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. I got Jimmy with us down in North Carolina. Jimmy, how's it going? It's going good. How's things up y'all's way? You know, we're pretty wet. Uh, I got a little flooding going on up here, and uh, you are sure used to wet conditions. Wow, North Carolina this last year, you've probably had about as tough as anybody. Yeah, the last nine months we've had uh, two uh, historical hurricanes, and Ever since the hurricanes come through, it seems like we've had at least a half an inch of rain better every three or four days. So it's been, it's just been a real issue. We are way behind doing any type of field work. Uh, when we were trying to get a wheat planted, you know, we, we had a lot of wheat that we could not get planted. And then the wheat that we did get planted is probably 30% of it is drowned it or you know, the seed rotted in the field before it could even germinate with all the excess moisture. So it's it's been challenging, but the last two days we've gotten some warm temperatures and we're we're running, of course we're running floater tires, but we're able to get out and start doing some uh, herbicide work with trying to get ready to start putting some crops in the ground. So we're starting to get started. We have we did get our um, fertilizer on top dressing on our wheat. So we was really glad about that. We caught a couple of days where we could get in the field. But uh, we're probably about two weeks behind so far. But, of course, in North Carolina, if, it, if the sun pops out and it's getting warm enough, you know, we could be wide open in hopefully a week and start getting some early field work done for our soil preparations. You bet. Yeah, things can turn around in a hurry, and and that's good. When, when do you normally like to start putting crop in? What what's your target on uh, on wheat and on even corn and soybeans for full season growth? On uh, like on a wheat, we try to start top dressing about the first of March. You know, we planted ours last fall. We planted uh, soft red winter, so it was all planted in the middle of October of last year, and um, it's coming on now. It's, the earlier wheat has got pretty decent tiller counts. We we did a, some of our thinner wheat back in January and February. We did a little split application, about 30 pounds of nitrogen. That seemed to stimulate that wheat. And, of course, we're really in a deficit of sunshine. You know, we all think about moisture and nutrients, but this winter we've had so much cloudy weather, we're running short on sunshine. And when when we do get a couple of days of sunshine, the wheat really responds nice. So we are somewhat excited about that. And, Normally we plant our corn would be our first spring crop we're put in and normally the about April tenth we try to start putting seed in, but you know, hopefully before then we've got all our granular fertilizer. We try to get put our phosphorus and our potash in the granular form and try to get a lot of herbicide. We basically one hundred percent no till on our grain operation. So we try to do a lot of burn down and have those fields clean and as far as weeds. Um, you know, we really want a lot of organic matter, but we don't want any any weeds growing. So we try to get those burnt down and get our get our pre-emerged herbicides in. So when we start planting, 
you know, we can, we put a little nitrogen down and some starter with the planter. And when we start planting, you know, we're trying to get the seed in the ground basically. And then about the, uh, first of May, we'll start putting in soybeans, um, for our early crop beans. And then of course we in North Carolina do a lot of double crop soybeans, which will come in behind the, the wheat harvest, which is usually the end of June to the first of July. So. We're not. We haven't lost any ground yet. I don't think we've lost any yield potential. Uh, we haven't lost any time. It's just a matter of right now having all hands on deck, ready to roll when it's you know when the sun pops out and, and we get some warm weather. I think that's going to be the theme for 2019: all hands on deck and uh, be fully prepared because once this ground dries out and is fit, uh, there's a lot of work that has to get done in a hurry. Been talking with Jimmy down in North Carolina. Jimmy, we're sure thinking about you guys down there. We know you've had some tough weather, but uh, looking forward to a good year here in 2019. Yeah, I'm excited and uh, looking for another opportunity to, to farm one more year. <laughs> you bet. Hey, thanks a lot, Jimmy. Really appreciate it. I got Travis on with us right now in South Dakota. Travis, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing today? Well, pretty good. Pretty good. I know you guys had just a pile of snow up in your area. What What do things look like now? You know, after uh, the storms and so forth that you've had this week, and uh, and what are you thinking going into this spring? Uh, well, it's been an interesting winter. Hell, really into last fall too. Uh, we didn't get as much snow as some of the guys did around here. We got, I don't know, three to five inches, but we had 60, 70 mile an hour winds for, uh, pretty much a whole day. And we had some, I just got done pushing snow here about two hours ago to get through and we had some really big drifts and, uh, we're, we're still optimistic for this spring going in, in, into it. You know, we didn't really have a lot of cold temperatures. Uh, be, you know, before we had snow, so we're hoping the frost isn't too deep, so water can go get down, and then we can get out in the fields. Uh, you know, we're 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 always going to be optimistic. If we weren't, we wouldn't farm. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of our game plan so far. You know, we're we're getting ready. So like the last guy said, he says when it's all hands on deck, we're going to get going. Hey Travis, were you able to get fall fertilizer done up your way? Uh, you know, we don't. Uh, a few guys did. We don't just in our particular area just because we're, you know, we're, we're, we're in a sandy loam ground. Sure. Uh, you know, we have CECs from 4 to 15, so I, I really don't plan on doing that in the fall. Uh, I never really, we never really have. Everybody's ever tried it right where we're at. Oh, sure. it seems like you run out about, you know, in July. And, and uh, you know, for us... Uh, we do multiple passes of fertilizer throughout the year, so I more take my workload that is done in the fall and uh, and put it out in the summer, so we can uh, you know gain on efficiency and gain on everything. That's just kind of our uh, our, our plan, our our way of doing it, and it seems to work. You know, I it works for us, so that's kind of all I care about, I guess. Yeah, and especially this year, then you kind of already have the plan that you would normally do because most people have this fall fertilizer plan, and now they're kind of scrambling on, well, now what am I going to do because I didn't get it on in the fall? And that's just your normal way of doing things, so you're you're probably in about the same position you normally are going into spring, right? Yeah, exactly. I I, I don't like, you know, we've we've done you know we years ago we thought about doing that but then as you see you know potholes come up and you right. your fertilizer underneath there you can't get at it yep. it's just it just makes those acres that you farm more expensive so 
you know, just being the, you know, conscientious steward of the land and, and doing all those different things for the environment, it makes the most sense for us to, you know, do it in the spring. And like you guys said, this really hasn't changed much of our, our plan. I mean, we, we strip till everything, uh, corn sure. and soybeans. So we got to wait until it dries up a little bit more than, yeah. than normal for the no-tillers or the guys that do all spring tillage, uh, just because you're going down deeper on putting fertilizer down. But, how, uh, how deep are you going? Uh, about the tip of the shank is about eight inches. Fertilizers, you know, in that six to seven inch range. You know, it's not terribly deep by strip till, you know, you know, using it. But uh, we're the only, we're basically only only ones around us that do spring strip strip till, or really a lot of strip till in that fashion. But uh, you know, we it works for us, and uh, so we we you know we do that and wait for the ground to warm up. Those berms they warm up degrees warmer than uh, no-till would be and we're always yep. so cold that we fight you know soil temperatures and and we wait you know we we really try to be as patient as we possibly can and and with doing strip till I mean, that gives you the advantage of doing a tillage pass in the spring to be able to wait because if not you're wanting to be you know follow your neighbors and and which you know sometimes you got to get it in the ground and other times uh you should just wait you know that's you know, patience is a, a good thing to have, and sometimes it can be the biggest money maker you got out there. <laughs> yep, I'm with you 100%. Yeah, it's just, it's always hard as a farmer, though, because you know there's a lot of work to be done, and you go, man, I don't want to wait, I want to get to it, but yeah, we got to try to do mm-hmm. things right, too. Hey, Travis, it's been great talking to you today. Thanks a lot for calling in, really appreciate it, and best of luck to you here this spring. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good one. Yep, you too. It's Farmer Friday on today's program. We're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll dip back into that agphd mailbag right after this. Think about a quarter inch of rain. That's all it takes to activate Armazon Pro Herbicide in your corn and protect against weeds. Now think about a full inch of rain, the amount most other herbicides require for activation. How long will you have to wait to get that? The weeds hope you'll choose another herbicide. Your corn hopes you choose Armazon Pro Herbicide. Pick a winner. Talk to your BASF rep about Armazon Pro Herbicide today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Are you frustrated with white mold showing up year after year in your soybeans? If you have tried fungicide applications and are still losing yield to white mold, now is the time to ask your seed dealer about Heads Up Plant Protectant. Heads Up is the first EPA-registered seed treatment for the prevention of white mold in soybeans and pulse crops. The first line of defense on your farm against white mold now starts with the right seed treatment package. Locate a Heads Up dealer near you by visiting headsupst.com today. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Waterhemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Waterhemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Using NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer with Fall Fertilizer Applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. 
Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. One year it could be moisture stress, another pythium or nematodes, so you need your soybeans to rise ready for whatever the season holds. Now one simple decision provides coverage on four fronts. The Acceleron portfolio, fungicides, insecticides, bioenhancers, and an industry-leading nematicide that strikes where nematodes attack. This season, rise stronger with Acceleron seed treatment products. Learn more at acceleronsas.com slash riseready. Performance may vary. It's important to use proper PPE when handling treated seed. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. And Brian, I, we haven't had a, a real soil test question come in or a big one. So I got one for you. This one comes from Matt. And uh, he's got a number of questions here, mainly around potassium. And he said, okay. We talk about, before you get into the question, sorry, we talk about the potassium thing all the time. It's the nutrient yeah. that we find, the major nutrient we find the most deficient. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. So Matt said, got, got a few things here. We got some lighter soils and- uh, uh, look, 10 CEC. Yep. Looking at trying to get to 4% base saturation K. Now on some farms, I only have to get to 140 K to do that. On other farms- forty parts per million? Or Yeah. And other, and other farms with 140 parts per million, I'm only at 2%. Sure. Can you explain why that is and if there's a minimum number of parts per million that you like to see? Heavier soil. That's all it amounts to. The heavier the soil, the more of everything it will hold. You'll find your calcium, magnesium, potassium, all those numbers will be higher in the heavier soil. That's just the way it is. So yeah, A lot of times we'd like to be at least 170, 180 parts per million, but we'd like well, to get to 4% base saturation K if we can. It depends on what crop you're raising and what your yield goal is. But yeah, you've got to make sure you have enough total potassium on the one side, but we also want to have a minimum of 4% base saturation K on, in terms of our ratios. But here's the thing, Brian, 4% base saturation K is worth nothing if you don't have enough phosphorus and you don't have enough nitrogen. Oh, yes, so, obviously. So just look at it that way. We've got to have enough nitrogen. We've got to have enough phosphorus. We've got to have enough potassium to raise that crop. So if you don't have that, then focus on feeding this year's crop and getting that. If you have any extra money in the fertility budget, that's where you can start uh, little by little building up this base saturation K in most situations. So that's what we're trying to do here. Matt's trying to build that up. Yeah, so second, but hold, hold up one second. When you talk about build it little by little, on a 30 CEC or even a 20 CEC, I get that. On a 10 CEC, no way. He's only a few pounds away from right. getting to 4% base saturation leading, K. Just spend the money. Leading me to the next yet. question here. So he said, so I put on enough to build it up. How long do you think it's going to take me to get up there? Because it's taking, it didn't all happen in one year. Right. I'm just wondering, is it going to be a multi-year deal? 
Yeah, it could be one to two years, but let's not forget crop removal also. It could be three years even. Yeah, it just depends, you know, because you think about what you're putting on. If you're putting on potash and you're putting on little rocks, how quickly are they going to break down? It's going to take a little bit of time. Well, yes, but in Tennessee, they have way more heat and way more rain than we do. So it's going to take a lot less time than it would for us. And a lot of times for us, it's going to take, I figure, a couple of years. For us, yes, possibly three years. For him, no way is it going to take three years, in my opinion, uh, in 99% of the cases. Uh, you'd have to have extreme drought for a couple of years for it not to show up for three. But I, I guess... Again, I want to come back to how much did you remove? And then also we have one soil test here. That's one. I don't know what this is. is well, it he's done, he's is done some, part of the, he's done some variable rate. He's just using that okay. as an example. Okay. Okay. I, okay. I guess here's, here's the rest. He said, so anywhere in the field, I didn't have enough K2O to have at least 243 pounds, which is what I needed for 180 bushel corn. Yep. Uh, I'm not removing Stover, but if I've at least got enough for that 180 bushel corn that's available, I should be okay, correct? And I also should be able to build over time by putting a little more on? Well, yeah, but when you say I have to have at least that much for this crop, is your crop going to extract 100% of the available K every year? Is it going to extract 100% of the available P or copper or zinc or anything? Not a chance in the world. So you've got to overdo it. And I realize as soon as I say overdo it on fertilizer, people get all concerned about the environment. But let's not forget, potassium barely leaches. Phosphorus doesn't leach. I mean, sure, it does if you've got 50 times too much on. But if you just are barely getting by... I don't know. I mean, well, that Brian, makes me here's, here's another way to look at it, though. You're not going to run your soil down to zero. Right. So if there's 243 pounds in the bank, you're not going to get all 243. Correct. So you need to have a little bit extra out there because yes. you don't want that soil to run down to zero. And if you did run the soil down to zero, that's tremendously detrimental to your soil microbes. So we want to make sure we've got enough food out there for that soil and the microbes to be healthy. Now, the last question he had, he said, I've been doing variable rate uh, with my potassium and with my phosphorus. What I've noticed is some of my weak spots are certainly coming up in fertility, which right. I guess is good. Uh, and and uh, if you see yield increase that way. The other thing I've noticed, though, is maybe some of my stronger areas just staying the same or even dropping off a little bit in some circumstances. Uh, do you think I should be broadcasting fertilizer every third year instead of variable rate for these areas that aren't calling for much? I would just say this you can change the level that you want in the good areas. Yeah, just set a minimum rate of applications. You're always going to at least put on crop removal. That way you never go backwards. Now, as we say that, that's assuming that you're not already excessive. So let's just say, for example, you're at 200 parts per million of phosphorus, which we would deem very excessive. Okay, well, in in those spots, yeah, I really don't want to put on any more, and drawing it down to some degree is just fine. Okay, but if you've got 20 parts per million of phosphorus and it was a good yielding area and you're drawing it down, yeah, now we got a real problem. All right. Well, thanks for the questions, Matt. You got a lot of questions there on potassium. It sounds like maybe you've got the N and the P kind of figured out, and potassium is your next thing. If you got other questions or other soil tests for us to look at, please send them in. I uh, got one here that came in, Brian, uh, watching one of your videos online. You're talking about in-furrow treatments. What do you think about sugar and molasses in-furrow to feed the microbes? Got no problem with that. I don't know that it's going to gain you any yield, but if you want to try that, 
go for it. Well, we think about those carbon sources, and there's others. Larry had mentioned earlier in our show today about kelp products, and there's certainly some kelp products out there. I guess you have to see if you've got some that are proven and, and that have worked on your crops in your area. The other one, though, is fulvic acid and humic acid, and we see a lot of humics and fulvics getting used and providing that carbon source. So uh, if you're using humix and fulvix, uh, we still see some of those guys putting in some sugar too. But a lot of times when I ask guys, are you getting a gain out of the sugar? Well, I don't know. I just put it in everywhere. Why don't you test it? Test it like everything else. So my suggestion would be test that. Test it on your farm and with your operation and what you're doing and see if you get a gain from that. I would suggest that with almost anything out there. Yeah, but when you talk about carbon, how about if I get a bunch of residue breaking down? How about if I've been applying manure? How about if I've been using chicken litter or compost, something like that? So I'd, I, it, it could sugar and molasses help your yield? Yes, it could. But what we're saying is there's no guarantee that it is, so you need to try it in your situation. All right. Uh, oh, Brian from Pennsylvania had one more question from earlier in the show, and and he said, uh, so so no-till, six to eight CEC soil, pH okay. seven. All I'm right. just curious, what do you think about uh, banning on each side of the row versus versus the broadcast? Do you like that? I've got Keaton's. I could do stuff in furrow. Would you rather see it outside the row? Well, if you want to put tiny little rates on, then in is just fine. And if you're using a low salt product. And even especially I like blending it with some water. Great. If we're putting on a little bit of fertilizer, that's fine. If we're putting on quite a bit of fertilizer, one side of the row is probably okay. But the more fertilizer we put on, the more I'd like to see it split. So going on both sides of the row does make a lot of sense. It's just more work, a little more cost. A lot of times, though, we are seeing enough gain to make that pay, especially if you want to run higher rates. All right. I got a question from Jason up in Alberta. And Jason said, we've talked in the past about ag lime and, and I've got to go about 150 miles away. Cost works out to be $125 a ton with delivery and application. Most of our soil test grids are a 5.8 pH and a 6.5 buffer. Very little variability. We're seeing this pretty consistent across fields. Wondering what you think about it. Do you think we'd get a return on investment when our lime cost is this high? I'd really have to run some math on that. But I, I, I let's put it this way. You get a healthier soil. You have more microbial activity once you start getting up in the sixes. But the thing is, if you're at 5'8", that's not terrible. Also, you can look at, well, which crops do better in a little bit lower pH? Alfalfa, for example, would not be one of those. So if you want to simply change what you're raising for crop, you might not necessarily have to lime as much. Here's the other thing, Brian. We just had Neil Kinsey here last week, and Neil Neil said to everyone, he said, look, when you're looking at pH, that's fine. That's an indicator something's out of balance. Look at your nutrients. See what's right. out of balance. Maybe you say, oh, man, I'm really short in one certain nutrient. Put that nutrient on and see if your pH doesn't seem to moderate itself yes. without the lime. Now, maybe you're way short in calcium, and if that's the case, yeah, lime's probably your best bet. But if there's something else that you're super short in, take a look at that and see if that doesn't fix the problem for yeah, you. Yeah, and I would start with, with whatever anybody gives you for a recommendation. I'm probably going to start much lower than that because at 5'8", you're awful close to where you need to be. And there are a lot of differences in Lyme recommendations. Yes. One place recently that, that we saw a great article about that was in the Ag PhD Insider magazine. Uh, to learn more about that and to subscribe, you can go to agphdinsider.com. Uh, actually, Randy Dowdy and uh, a soils lab person that he works with uh, 
put together some just tremendous information on liming that you should really check out too. I want to say thanks to everybody who wrote in or called in with questions today. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now, stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.